What do you get when you combine red leather pants, bandanas, and worldwide arena rock? Over 30 million albums sold, songs that have endured for over 30 years, and acclaimed Super Bowl commercial. Mike Reno from 80s supergroup Loverboy, whose hits include party anthems such as Everybody's Working for the Weekend, Turn Me Loose, and Loving Every Minute of It, joins us now to talk about the songs, the arenas, and Loverboy's popularity with Generations X, Y, and Z, and you can catch them May 25th at Lust Fest in Council Bluffs. Lead singer of Loverboy is here. Today we've got Mike Reno. Welcome to the show, Mike. Nice, girl. That sounded great. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Great to have you with us today. Yeah, so what can fans expect from the show in Council Bluffs? We're going to rock your socks off. We come in there <laughs> strong, and we come in there live, and we come in there loud. I think we're even going to be the first band out there. We've got some other things to do uh, later on that night, so we have to come on first and get the heck out of town. But we're going to come on and give you a good hour. of. we got 40 top 40 hits, so every wow. one of the songs we play was either a video or a top 40 hit. So it's going to be fun. You know the words, you know the songs. Everybody's going to sing along. It's going to be fabulous. Oh, yeah. Now, younger fans have been discovering your music, so what has that been like? I love looking out at the audience and seeing the younger fans there. It just kind of gives me that little happy feeling that the music's probably going to live forever. Mm-hmm. And that's a nice feeling, you know, as a songwriter. People loving your songs, they know all the words. I just love it. That's awesome. Since the 80s hits, Loverboy's been all over pop culture consciousness. You know, music has been in the commercials, video games, sitcoms, movies, Saturday Night Live skits. So how do you explain the love affair with Loverboy? I think when we wrote the songs, those songs were written at the right time, and they said the right thing, mm-hmm. and it hit the right ears. People uh, grew up to our music. It became part of everybody's DNA, uh-huh. if you will. It's part of their lives. The best part of people's lives, when they're going to high school and, and mm-hmm. going into college and all the fun things that they did before life got too serious, mm-hmm. a lover boy was a part of that, and I think it's still going to remain a part of that forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a part of the memories. Mike. You have such an amazing voice. So how old were you when you realized you could sing? Well, I was a bit of a shy kid. I started off on drums, and my brother Steve, my older brother, he had a band. He played guitar, and he taught me how to sing background vocals early in life when I was singing background vocals to songs like Monday, Monday. Okay. Mm -hmm. I would go, la, 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 la. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and he would teach me all these harmonies. So he would sing the lead, I would sing the harmonies, and I'd be on the drums. And we were kind of like the Partridge family, really. Okay. You know, everybody mm-hmm. thought it was really cute to see these young kids singing and dancing and stuff. After that, I was talked into standing out front, leaving the drums behind, and being the front man. Okay. So I've been at it since I was uh, 12 years old. Well, so then when you left the drums, especially if you were shy, was that hard for you to take over lead position? Or did it just feel natural? It was really hard. And I didn't think I'd be able to do it. I didn't like it at first. Okay. But then I got used to it, and I felt how great it was to be able to walk around and entertain the crowd and be out away from behind the drums. At first, I didn't like it, but then I really learned to love it. And I wouldn't have it any other way now. Gotcha. As a drummer, did that affect your phrasing as far as your vocals? Um, You know what? Being a drummer actually helped with my phrasing. I bet. Uh-huh. Um, and I think it still does. I can phrase in and amongst the groove because uh-huh. I was a drummer. You feel it. I kind of know that groove. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, who were some of the singers who influenced you? Well, I'm going to have to go back as far as the Beatles. Okay. I remember I uh, actually sent in a letter 
I wanted to be the drummer for the Beatles, so I sent a letter to England. I don't even remember how I addressed it, but um, and I kind of applied for the job. I said, you guys should get me instead of Ringo. And so that's kind of where it started. This is how I was when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And then I started listening to uh, Rolling Stones came along. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite songs was Ruby Tuesday. Okay. I bought that. 45. Okay. You know, you have to look up and see what a 45 is. <laughs> but my first 45 was Ruby Tuesday by the Rolling Stones, but I love the Beatles. And then next thing you know, it was Creedence Clearwater, Grand okay. Funk, Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple. Just like, wow. Mm -hmm. And then Free and Bad Company. You know, I really got into the person I looked up to as a singer was Paul Rogers. I loved the way he sang. Okay. He was the singer for free. Okay. And so uh, the bands that I was in, I made sure we played a whole bunch of free songs. Okay, <laughs> I bet. We've got it tuned here to the Mulberry Lane Show. And right now we're talking with Mike Reno, lead singer of 80s band Loverboy. They garnered four multi-platinum albums and have sold millions of records. And they're going to be at Les Fest in Council Bluffs on May 25th. Now talk about meeting Paul Dean. And wow. Writing that first song. You. Yeah. Well, I was coming across Canada. I'd given up on the Toronto scene. I'd left the band that I'd just finished three years with. I wasn't happy with the way they were managed. I didn't like the record company people that were involved. So I was disheartened. And I okay. thought, I'm going to go across Canada, drop my girlfriend off at University of Calgary. And then I'm going to head down to California to hang out with my brother who had moved down there. And I'm going to check out the scene in California. Okay. And then one night I went out for a concert. It was, I think, Johnny Rivers' concert in Calgary. And on the way out, I heard some noise coming from this warehouse. So I poked my head in this warehouse. And Paul Dean was sitting in the middle of this warehouse where they used to fix buses. Mm. It was really funny because he was small compared to this big, huge warehouse. And he was sitting in the middle. And there was this heater blowing warm air on him. And he was right in the middle of this empty warehouse sitting on a stool with the ghetto blaster and he was kind of recording some groove ideas that he had and he kind of saw me looking at him from the back of his, his little consciousness and he looked around and then he said come on in man and then we've been together ever since we wrote his first song that night amazing that's like and a video we've been together ever since yes yeah, yeah. it is it's like a video yeah so that's how you met loverboy lead guitarist you guys wrote your first song and basically the rest is history and the rest is history. We've been together ever since. It's over 35 years, him and I have been together, writing songs and, and touring all over the place. And it's still the original lineup, right? Absolutely. We lost our bass player in 2000 to a boating accident. Okay. He went missing at sea. Mm -hmm. And it was a very tragic event, and uh, we're still feeling pretty sad I about bet. it. I'm sure. I bet. Tragic. How important was MTV in your success? Oh, wow. Great question. Up until MTV, a lot of bands were faceless. You didn't know who was in the band because all you ever saw was the album covers. Uh -huh. There were no videos out there. As a matter of fact, the name video wasn't even coined as a phrase until after a, about a month. And we just were supposed to go to New York on a tour, take a break on New York on the weekend, and record us playing a bunch of songs. Okay. We didn't really know what it was for. And then they turned the songs into what they now call videos. So we turned in three what they now call videos, before they were even called videos, <laughs> uh, to a company called MTV, which were broadcasting 24 hours a day, and they were going to show music. So we didn't have a clue what was going to go on, but about a month after we did that, we were so famous we couldn't even go to the corner store to buy a USA Today. It was wow. insane. So you were one of the very oh. first bands on MTV. 
we were one of the very first bands on MTV, and we got in heavy rotation because they needed 24 hours of, uh, right. of uh, playing. And, you know, there was only a few bands that turned in uh, music videos. Oh. So I guess the answer to that question is MTV was very important in your success. <laughs> oh, completely. It was unbelievably important. You're getting schooled in music history here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Your teacher, Mike Reno of Loverboy. We'll be back right after this with more from Mike, where he shares some stories behind the scenes at the big rock shows and one of his favorite phone calls. This is the Mulberry Lane Show.